In a few minutes here, we're going to be looking together at 1 Timothy 6. But before we get there, we're going to put up a photo of me and a guy named Scott Gibson. I want to introduce you this morning just briefly to Scott Gibson. His proper name is the Reverend Dr. Scott Miller Gibson. But Scott Gibson is a well-regarded preacher. He is a teacher of preachers and an author. But to me, most importantly, Scott Gibson is my mentor and my spiritual father. And I met Scott in the fall of uh, the year 2000 when I went into seminary at Gordon-Conwell. He was a a professor there at that time. Now he's uh, teaching down at Baylor University in Texas. But I found out at that time that he was mentoring or discipling dozens of people. In fact, now it's up to 50 plus uh, people over the past three decades that he has mentored, discipled, been a spiritual father too. And so Scott, over the years now, actually this fall, it'll be 20 years, hard to believe, two decades of putting up with me. Um, that makes him a saint of which uh, the only one that is a greater saint is my wife for doing that. Um, but for two decades now, uh, Scott has faithfully, day after day, week after week, month after month, pointed me to the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, over and over again, pointed me to the scriptures and just walked with me. And Scott, uh, literally when I was at seminary, we would meet weekly for lunch. I don't know when he found the time to write all the books and teach all the courses and go be a speaker at all these conferences and disciple and mentor all these people that he still stays in touch with today and were scattered literally across the globe. But literally, uh, Scott would listen to us Um, If we were disappointed in something, he would grieve with us. Um, When we had a success or a victory, he would rejoice in us. But more than anything else, when we were going through seasons of heartache and pain, when we were um, crumbling, when we wanted to give up uh, training to be ministers or even to be ministers, uh, not all of us, the disciples, are ministers, but many of us are, he would um, listen to us, he would show us empathy, then he would challenge us in the scriptures, then he'd pray over us. He's done that faithfully for three decades. And I can say, without a shadow of a doubt, I don't think I'd be following Jesus Christ as closely as I am today. And I can say, I don't even know if I'd still be a minister today without his life, his influence, his witness, and his encouragement. I can't begin to tell you how much this person has influenced me. And so my prayer for you is that you will have a Scott Gibson. Everyone needs a Scott Gibson. Everyone needs a spiritual mentor. Everyone needs a father or mother in the faith that they can turn to in the joys of life and in the pains of life that will just sometimes just walk with us and encourage us to keep following Jesus, to keep being a faithful spouse, to keep being a faithful parent, to keep plugging away at the profession God has called us to. And when I think about Scott, of course, it reminds me very much so of the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with his protege, Timothy. The Apostle Paul, um, as many of you know, discipled and was a spiritual father to this guy named Timothy that he uh, helped lead to Christ and raised up in the faith. And as we saw last week, when we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul one day said, Timothy, I'm turning the ministry of the churches of Ephesus over to you. You're in charge of the house churches and all the Christians 
in the city of Ephesus. And so the Apostle Paul left him there, moved on to his next uh, ministry post. And what we know is that Paul had to keep encouraging Timothy, that Timothy stumbled, that Timothy falled, that Timothy got discouraged, that Timothy blew it at times. And we know this because we have these two amazing letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And in these letters, we uh, see all the challenges that Timothy was up against and how Paul counseled Timothy and encouraged Timothy not to quit, not to give up, but to, to continue on being faithful to the gift that he had been entrusted with. And that included, by the way, rebellious leaders and false teachers. Timothy didn't have a nice, easy, like, retirement job. You know, I'm just going to retire out here. He had a really difficult, challenging job. And what you and I are going to look at this morning is the, the words of wisdom and really the, the words of insight that Paul passed on to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul here gives him some really important words of advice and instruction, how to continue in his faith and how to continue in the ministry God had given him. And I believe these are words you and I need this morning. These are words that teach you and me here at EFC how to continue to contend for our faith, how to be a contending church, how to be a contending people in our day and our age. So I invite you to turn there with me as we look at this vital guidance that God sees fit to impart to you and I this morning through Paul's words to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16, page 1,808. 1,808. In the previous section, which we'll glance at momentarily, verses uh, 2 through 10, Paul talks about the false teachers, how they're prideful, how they're boastful, how they're greedy, how they're divisive. And then he gives Timothy these instructions. And he does this multiple times throughout the letter. He says, these are what the false teachers are like, Timothy. But Timothy, here's how you're to be different from them. Okay? So let's look here at verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy 6. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. And then notice here he shifts to a doxology, two verses of a beautiful hymn of praise. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. 
So the key idea that you and I are going to plunge into this morning is that we're to contend for endurance. We're to contend for perseverance. Contend for perseverance or endurance. Now, where do I get this idea? New Testament scholar, uh, William Mounts, uh, really brilliant mind. He taught at the seminary that I was at for a number of years. He says this about this passage. He says, quote, the prominent emphasis in this section is perseverance. Timothy must continue to flee evil and to pursue good. So the idea here, even though it's one of the virtues, we'll talk about this in a moment, it's one of the six virtues, the whole section is about persevering in the faith. And if you look at verse 12 there, you'll see the command. Okay, do you see the command? What does he say there? Verse 12, he says, fight the good fight. That is a command in the original language. It's an imperative. It's a you plural. All of you do this. And the word there is the word that we're doing this whole uh, message series, the contending church on. It's the Greek word agonizomai. All right. I want us to say that on the count of three out loud, agonizomai. Ready? One, two, three. Agonizomai. This means to contend for a prize, to struggle or to strive. That is in an athletic contest, the athletic games of those days, wrestling or running a race or in warfare. And so what we see here is that Paul tells Timothy in his final instructions, right at the tail end of this letter, the first of two letters, he says, fight the good fight. Contend for the good fight, Timothy. And so we see here that we're to contend in particular for perseverance. We're to persevere in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? It's not just going to be, yes, our salvation is a gift, but it's something we must continue to, to fight and to prioritize, to develop over time. Okay? God gives us the gift of salvation, but then upon receiving it, we're to cultivate and grow in that relationship. You never stop growing. If you stop growing, you're dying. In the Christian life and faith, there is no, there is no middle ground. There's either you're gaining or you're sliding. Right? So he says we're to persevere in this relationship and in our work, the work of spreading the gospel. We talked about this last week. Whatever our call is, as a spouse, as a parent, in our profession, that we're to persevere in that as well because that is one of the key ways we glorify God is the way that we serve others in our call, our work, our profession. So Paul uh, says to Timothy, persevere in your relationship with Jesus Christ and really in your relationship with your work, in your relationship with your finances, in every dimension of your life. Fight to grow, fight to grow, fight to continue. Begs the question then, how? How do we do this, right? That's a great idea. Thank you. Fight the good fight. We get it. But how do we do that? And so what we're going to do this morning is just look briefly at five different um, keys that the Apostle Paul gives here. This is a really rich passage. I actually had a hard time trying to narrow it down to five things. There's four different commands and then there's four different uh, other things the Apostle Paul talks about, but I'm going to try and narrow it down to just five keys, five different ways that we can persevere um, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, how we can uh, contend for perseverance. And in particular, how do you and I do this when we get discouraged, right? 
when our family deals with sickness or a financial setback or something happens in our work and something happens, how do we continue on in the faith? Remember, Timothy has health issues, right? Paul tells him, drink a little bit of wine because you're dealing with some health digestive issues, right? He's dealing with the battling of all the people that are, that are uh, resisting him, fighting him, teaching false doctrine. People have been excommunicated from the church that are still trying to infiltrate. And, and how do you continue when you feel worn out and discouraged? Let's look at these five keys together here. So the first key to contending for perseverance, number one, is remember your identity. Remember your identity. Notice in verse 11, what does Paul do? Paul says, man of God. Man of God. Timothy, don't forget, you're a man of God. Now, generally speaking, this word is used in the Old Testament. It describes uh, Moses, right? It describes King David. It describes the prophets. It's used as a designated term for many um, in the Old Testament. And here, it's being used in a way to offset Timothy to remind him that you're not like the false teachers, okay? I know you're in battle, Timothy, but don't forget, you're a man of God. And I would, I would make the case, I think, if, as you and I look at the Bible, look at the New Testament, look at the totality of Scripture, that ultimately, every person who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, every single person who's defined by the blood of Jesus, who's defined by the cross of Jesus, who's received the grace of God, every single person in essence, if your identity is rooted in God, in the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, you are a man or woman of God. That is, all of us are men and women of God through Jesus Christ. That is to say, if you have believed in Jesus that he has purchased your freedom, you're no longer shackled to your sin nature, you're no longer shackled to uh, Satan, you're no longer shackled to death, we all die, but we in Christ are freed into eternal life. We're no longer shackled to the evil systems of the world. Jesus Christ came and he broke those chains. And he cleansed us and you and I are free now. Sin is no longer our master, the Bible says. We may wrestle with sin in various areas of our lives, but it no longer has dominion or authority over us. So the idea then is that Jesus Christ is our master. Jesus Christ is our ruler. And therefore we are people defined by Jesus Christ. Not only that, we have the Holy Spirit, right? We have the Holy Spirit who when you and I read the Bible, we can understand what it says. We can read it and nourish ourselves as we open up the words of life and the Holy Spirit brings them to life to us. We have the ability to memorize, retain, and then you and I have the ability to go and to teach other people the gospel. You and I can actually go share the message of Jesus with other people. We're going to talk about this starting March 8th. And we talk about the great commission that we're called to make disciples. Every disciple of Jesus makes other disciples. Every disciple of Jesus, every man or woman of God has the ability to make disciples, to go, to reach across some barrier to someone that doesn't know Jesus to teach them the gospel, right? And then to baptize them, meaning point them to Jesus Christ, lead them to faith, which then means they enter into the new community of faith. That is, they come into Jesus Christ, they become part of the new creation, they become part of the family of God. We'll talk about that starting on uh, March 8th, okay? But do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying that all of us are men and women of God. That is our identity. We're people marked by the cross, by the blood, by the grace of God. That's not all. Did you notice what the other thing that Paul does 
to remind Timothy of his identity. Go look at verse 12 here. What does he, what does he say here? He says to Timothy, right? Let's look at this. He says to Timothy, he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The idea here that scholars think what he's talking about here is most likely when Timothy first believed in Jesus Christ and got baptized. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, go back to when you first believed. Go back to the moment that you understood the grace of Jesus Christ, when you embraced the love of God. Timothy, do you remember how free you were? Do you remember how joyful you were? Do you remember how excited you were when you understood God's love for you and then you went out and you publicly professed that through getting baptized and sharing it with other people? Sometimes to go forward, we have to go backward. Sometimes to look forward, we have to first look backward to the place when we first believed and what that experience was like and to remember where we were at and what God did in rescuing you and I. Do you know what I'm talking about? To remember our salvation. And so Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, look backward to that moment. Look backward to all the joy and the freedom that that brought you. I think for some of us this morning, if we're feeling discouraged, the best thing this week is carve out a little bit of time, sit in a quiet place with a journal and say, Holy Spirit, remind me, take me back to that time. Take me back to that place spiritually, like transport me back to where I was at and make that alive and real to me again. That freedom, that joy, that love, that delight and wonder knowing that God loved me and redeemed me. Renew to me, God, the joy of my salvation. And then we'll have that new sense of being a man or woman of God when we remember what he's done for us. So, we're to contend for perseverance. And the first way we contend for perseverance is to remember our identity. We remember that because of who we are in Christ. We remember that by remembering what God has done for us. Secondly here, second, the second key uh, to contending for uh, perseverance, number two, is to flee from pride and greed. Flee from pride and greed. Again, I don't have time this morning to you know, pick through the previous section, but in verses two through 10, that is the section where the apostle Paul, first writing to Timothy, but remember these, these, this letter is to be read in all the house churches in the city of Ephesus. So it's meant not only for Timothy, but for everyone else to overhear. And Paul there said that predominantly the false teachers that Timothy is waging war against had two major uh, sins. One of them uh, was they're conceited. Paul says they're conceited, all right? And because um, they were conceited, Paul goes on to say, because of that, in these churches, there's envy, there's strife, there's malicious talk, there's evil suspicions, and there's constant friction. If you want to know if there's pride, if you want to know if there's arrogance, look where the friction and the strife, not healthy friction or strife leading to greater growth and development, but just division and anger and resentments, and you'll find pride, you'll find conceitedness. And then uh, as you get down there to verses um, six through 10, then he talks about the greed of the false teachers. The, the teachers are not there to teach people about Jesus Christ. They're there to line their pockets. They're there to make money. And at the end of the letter, right at the very end, Paul circles back to that and talks about um, the idea of contentment, that um, it's really important to learn to be content because when we start pursuing money as an end in and of itself, it can actually poison our faith. 
We start pursuing money and not God. Money is just a means to an end. Money is a way to serve God. Money is a way to be good stewards of God's resources, to invest in eternity, to advance God's kingdom. But we're, we're called to be content. And the, what we see here is the false teachers were all about getting rich. They, they're all about ingratiating themselves. And so what Paul says here then is he says, flee from all this. Paul says, Timothy, do not, do not get wrapped up in conceitedness or pride. Flee from it. Flee from greed. Uh, Timothy, because these things will suck out your spiritual vitality. It's like puncturing a hole in a gas tank. Slowly but surely, the fuel's going to drain out. And it doesn't need to be a big hole. It can just be the tiniest little crack and the fuel drains out. And then one day the engine, the engine just seizes. Pride and greed can do that to our spiritual lives. Now, how do we know if we have pride or greed? Number one, ask God to show you. <laughs> just say, God, like, please expose to me any pride where I'm looking down at other people. I'm thinking I'm better than other people. Um, I will, I'm not. When other people confront me about sin, I deny it because I'm insecure or whatever. I can't see my own sins. Um, God, reveal it to me. And the Holy Spirit will reveal that sin to you, right? Ask a trusted friend, right? That's the benefit blessing of having a spiritual father or mother or mentor is if you have a safe person that you can go to and, and, and say, you know, you know, show me, please be honest with me. Are there any areas of pride or greed in my life? And if they really love you, they'll actually reach out to you and tell you without you even having to ask them. Scott Gibson many times has called me out on the carpet on things. In fact, every meeting he would ask about my soul. He would ask about my marriage. He would ask about my relationship with God. He asked really hard questions. But then I had to expose my life to someone else. But I knew that person loved me unconditionally. So I could expose the, the darkest parts of who I was because I know that person wanted to see me grow in Christ. And by the way, the scriptures uh, say, confess your sins one into the other so that you'll be healed. There's something freeing about confessing sin, not only God, but to trusted confidants. And the Bible says God's grace enters that situation and God heals us. Now, third, third option here. Third, just a suggestion. You know, this Wednesday at 6.30, we've got this Lenten service. It's going to be Ash Wednesday. And this is an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus Christ to gather together as a community. And there's something powerful about seeking God together. There's something really powerful. And we see this throughout the Bible. Whenever God's people cried out to God together in humility and said, God, come to our land and heal us and change us and cleanse us and purify us. God, God, we need you. We need you. The Bible is a catalog of communal prayer, people crying out in humility, saying, God, we need you. Reveal our sins to us and cleanse us and purify us that we may be healed. And so this is going to be a great opportunity to kick off a season of Lent, which we choose as led by the Holy Spirit to deny ourselves and to seek God in a deeper, richer way so that God can speak to us in more profound ways and that God will impart more and more holiness as we confess more and more sin one to the other and one as we confess to God and the Holy Spirit rips this stuff out of our lives. That's one of the great gifts of fasting. Um, God rips this stuff out of our lives. And by the way, the youth just spent, did a 30-hour famine. We had 11 youth that spent 30 hours without food. It's really amazing. They broke the fast yesterday at 6.30 and they were just jubilant um, to be able to sacrifice and to uh, fast and to become into solidarity with a lot of poor Christians around the globe 
that they, they don't choose to fast for 30 hours. They have to fast for 30 hours because they don't have enough food to feed themselves. And it made them very aware about the struggles of the global church and the poverty in our world. So I think we could do well to follow after the teens. Amen? So fasting, prayer, seeking God. That is number two, flee from pride and greed. There's a lot of ways that God uses, a lot of disciplines in the spiritual life God uses to help us. So to summarize, we contend for perseverance by remembering our identity, by fleeing from pride and greed. Number three, verse 11, we pursue Christian virtues. The Christian life is both denial of certain things, but also the pursuit of certain things, right? And we have here this amazing list of what have been called Christian virtues, right? These are, a number of these are part of the fruit of the spirit. We see them throughout the Bible. These are attributes of God, right? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Maybe this week, spend a little time and say, out of these six, what what am I doing well at? What am I excelling at? Am I excelling in endurance? Am I excelling in godliness? Am I excelling in gentleness? And then the other side of the equation is, Lord, where do I need to grow? Which of these six virtues am I really weak in right now? Like I'm, I'm hobbling along. It's not going well. I'm not very, I'm not very gentle, right? I'm not very righteous. I'm not, I don't conduct my relationships with integrity. I don't speak the truth in love. I don't, I don't move toward conflict when God asks me to. God, will you grow and develop this in me? Again, this is where it helps to have a mentor and accountability partner. You can go to that person and say, hey, you know, rate me. Out of these six, what are, where am I strong? Out of these six, where am I really just not doing well and failing? And will you hold me accountable to grow in these virtues? This is where it helps to have other strong Christian relationships where people ask us the hard questions and they lovingly hold us accountable to grow. All right, so third, third, we're to pursue these virtues. So we contend for perseverance. We remember Firstly, our identity. Secondly, we flee from pride and greed. Thirdly, we pursue Christian virtues. Number four, number four, I didn't know how to put this, but we keep our eyes on the prize. We keep our eyes on the prize. Paul here, this is the, I believe, the fourth command. He tells Timothy, grab a hold. Grab a hold. In the original language, it can mean seize, clutch onto. He says eternal life. Timothy, grab this thing, man. Grab it. And what's interesting about this word is that this is the same verb, and I don't think it's coincidental, that's used in Matthew chapter 14, verse 31, where if you know that story, right, Jesus is walking on the water, and he sees Peter, and he says, Peter, come on out. And Peter gets out of the boat, right, and he starts to step. He's keeping his eyes on Jesus. What happened? The text tells us the wind blows up the waves, and Peter shifts his gaze from Jesus under the waves. And what happens? What happens? He sinks. And there's the same verb. Jesus grabs, seizes onto Peter and pulls him out. For many of us, the idea of grabbing a hold and seizing onto our eternal life means that we've got to take our eyes off of the waves and the issues and the problems and keep our eyes, refix our eyes onto Jesus. I don't know about if this is true for you, but I find I'm most discouraged when I'm most focusing on my problems and not focusing on Jesus Christ. When, I, when I'm sitting there just thinking about problem after problem after problem, that's when it, the problems get magnified. But when I stop doing that and I start focusing on Jesus Christ, then my problems start to shrink down into comparison. And I realize Jesus is going to take charge of this. Jesus got this. 
I'm the one, I'm the one that's getting spun out. God's got this. God's going to take care of this. It doesn't always feel like it. There's still moments of fear, uncertainty, and anxiety. But when I turn my eyes back into Jesus, I realize God's going to take me through this thing. And so for us, it means to grab a hold of not only eternal life, but keeping our vision focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so for some of us here today, maybe that's the issue. Maybe when we look at our anxieties, we look at our fears, it's rooted in the nature of the problem. We're we're magnifying, we're worrying, and worrying is just repeatedly thinking about the problem over and over and over and over. And and God says, turn your gaze back onto me and I'll take care of this thing. I can't can't help you fix it if you're going to focus. If you're going to give more attention to the problem than to me, I can't help you. But if you look to me, I can intervene in this situation. We can work through this together. So we're to keep our eyes on the prize. We're to take a hold of Jesus Christ and the eternal life that we have um, in him, which means we shift our gaze. So we contend, firstly, by remembering our identity. We contend by fleeing from pride and greed. We contend by uh, pursuing these six virtues. We contend by uh, keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ and the prize of eternal life in him. And then, of course, this follows right into point five, the last point. Number five, we rely on God's power. We rely on God's power. We rely on his power. And what we have here is we have this beautiful doxology, a hymn of praise. And we don't know if this uh, was already an existing song that the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit. You know, it was already being used by churches and the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit, drops it in here. We don't know if it became a hymn, but we have this doxology, this song of praise, and it's all about the power of God, Right? What does it say at the beginning? It says he's the only ruler. That word is, is ruler is used only three times in the New Testament. And it's the only time it's used to refer to Jesus Christ. Or God is the only sovereign ruler of all, right? And then what does it do? It goes on, all right? And it talks about what? It talks um, about him being the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the immortal, the only immortal God, the only one who's approachable and unapproachable Um, He's so light-filled, he's unapproachable, his holiness. And it says that he is the one filled with might and honor. Right? He's mighty and he's honorable. And the final analysis, the only way that you and I are going to contend for perseverance is if you and I rely on the power of God. We can't do it on our own. Let's be honest, you and I don't have what it takes. We just don't. But God has all the power that you and I could ever need. Because he is the mighty ruler. He is the king of kings. He is the only Lord of lords. He is the only one that's encased in unapproachable light. He is the only one worthy of all of our worship, praise, and adoration. And so one of the disciplines of life that I want to encourage us to press into as a congregation is through worship, making worship a daily practice. Putting on a song on iTunes or K-Love, um, you know, sing along with it, listen to it, pause, um, reflect on what the words are saying, that they're magnifying the greatness and the power of Jesus Christ. That's one way. Another way is to take every opportunity to praise God with other believers. I just, again, want to highlight um, a few coming up. We've got one church, one prayer on March 2nd. That's five churches that gather on the first Monday of every month to pursue God together, to bring revival and renewal to this region. But what we do is we not only pray, we sing about the greatness and the power of God. 
There's no point praying if we're not gonna first acknowledge the greatness and the power of God that he's worthy to be sought and that, that when we come and ask him for things, he's more than powerful enough to answer our prayers, amen? So on March 2nd, 7 p.m., it's gonna be at City on a Hill Church. We'll put all the information out on social media and our e-news, but every opportunity to gather with other Christians and to sing God's praises, do it. Do it. That's how we rely on God's power. The same thing with Pray New England. When we do this conference, it's a prayer training. We're training people on how to study the Bible and how to pray from the Bible, how to be led by the Spirit, but also how to pray in a way that's worshipful. Every session, we're going to have times of worship. Whenever we worship, we have chances to just stand there and tell God how great he is. And here's the deal. Let's practice now because you know what heaven's about? Praising God forever and ever 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 and ever. If you don't like it now, heaven is going to be a drag for you. So let's be a people of praise and worship now because we're just going to praise him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Every session we start this conference, we're going to have seasons of worship and praise. It's, it's worth it just to come and to worship and to tell God how great he is. And that will enlarge the nature of our praise and our prayers. Let's go to him in prayer right now. Father, we want to be a contending church. We want to be a church that contends for perseverance. We want to be a people that rely on your greatness, on your power, on your mercy. We want to be a people that remember our identity, that remember what you saved us from, remember the pit we were in and that you pulled us out of it. And so God, Will you do a deeper work in each and every heart here, God? Will you do a deeper work in this church to make us a people that will contend for perseverance, a people that will fight to walk with you, a people that will fight to minister for you, a people that will fight for the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ? God, there's so many things in life we've quit. If we look over um, the detritus of a life of quitting, Lord, uh, from various social media platforms, from jobs, from relationships, all the projects left undone, the project that is worthy to see all the way through is following you, worshiping you, honoring you, serving you. And so God, will you empower us to do that through the Holy Spirit? Will you do that during this year, which this church has committed to being rooted in prayer? Will you make us a people strong and mighty in perseverance because we turn to our strong and mighty God? God, we need you. We rely on you. We say you are the only immortal, invisible, eternal, God filled with unapproachable light, the ruler, the honorable one. We look to you and surrender our lives to you now, praying all this in Jesus' name. Amen.